On this week's Bet the Process podcast, we have, I think he finished number four in the British Open or the Open Championship, Dylan Fratelli. Um, to talk, no, actually, we have Rob Pizzola talking about Bet Stamp, talking about his media efforts. And then, uh, and then we talk a little bit about the psychology of betting. We get into the ethos in the uh, the strange world that Rufus is reverberating around Twitter right now with his Ask Me Anythings. So with that, let's start the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Welcome to the podcast, bet the process. It's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a talent with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. Welcome to another episode of the Bet the Process. This podcast, we were continuing our tour of our top mm, 15, 20 guests that we've ever had on. Um, Rob fits right into that sort of number, maybe just outside of the 20, but um, welcome, welcome, Rob. I hope I at least rank ahead of Seth Byrne on your guest list. That's a close I was one. actually literally thinking of Seth Byrne today, and it was mostly because, Rufus, you had that... Um, whole thing on Twitter where you were talking about sort of emotional aspects of gambling. And we can talk about that because I did think it was pretty interesting. And someone said, um, since you're such a public figure or sort of public figure, it reminded me of what Seth Byrne at, when you were asking, you know, if you were net positive for the industry and, and Seth said something like, are you relevant in the industry? Are you in the industry? It was, it was, it was pretty amazing. It was an awkward silence. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I don't have too many things to say about Seth Byrne. I mean, if I, if I never heard his voice again in my life, I, you know, I'm not going to lose any sleep. Uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention this um, betting Calcutta that just recently happened. And, and right afterwards, and, and you used to be in our Calcuttas when you were our friend. Um, now, as you just kind of watch from afar, What's your what's your impression on the sort of ongoing domination that Team Ma is having over Team Peabody? I mean, it's it's tough to say because what it's been four golf Calcuttas, right? So mm-hmm. it it could just really be variance. Um, I mean, it probably is. And just just looking at the the structure of the Calcutta and the way that the uh, prize pool split up, I mean, it, it, you can get lucky over a certain period of time. I'm not suggesting that you've been lucky, Jeff, but I mean, that's probably been the case more likely than not. Um, and I mean, but you mean, he doesn't have a theoretical, like 70% edge. I mean, it's, it's possible. <laughs> Rufus, but... you sound bitter. <laughs> you know, um, the, the thing is, the thing that I will say in sort of my, not defense, but in, in like, uh, you know, when I think a little bit about, you know, one of the areas that Rufus and I have differed a little bit is I, Rufus, am bidding pretty much every player that I see value on. And like, even if it means that I end up owning like 40% of the pot, which is what I ended up owning, right? Like 35% or something like that. Mm -hmm. I think you tend to let guys go because you're afraid of owning too much of the pot, which means that I end up getting relatively large edge on some of these guys i don't let him go too much i, I mean i think i'm you let rom maybe go, not right? how, much, how much edge did you let rom go for the u.s open i feel like the, yeah for the u.s open go. it was 
at that point I was afraid like of owning the whole freaking pot. And um yeah. Do you wish that you had bid more on ROM and gotten ROM in retrospect? At the US Open? Yeah. Um you know, like I don't Knowing know. Knowing what question. you know now, if you had known that then, would you have well, been obvious, Well, if I knew he would win, then yes. But I mean, I had big <laughs> Do positions you know that on now him. that he won. I had big positions on him betting too that were higher edge than what that would have been. So it's at a certain point, you're like, well, what's the market price in this guy? Well, so like, that's really like the wanna... ignorance of bliss is bliss for me, right? Like, because I'm not betting golf seriously at all. So I don't really think about it that way like you guys do. Because I, I hear a lot of times, some of the more serious betters are always talking about like, oh, you could have, could have gotten a bigger, that's a reasonable buy, but you could get much bigger edge, you know, betting outrights or something like that. I mean, it, it is like betting. It's like you're betting a top five type situation. Like it, it really is. Cause in order for the guy to make money, well, to really hit, you, you need, you need a guy to be top five. And so, I mean, there's, I have a gazillion weeks where I strike out in those top five, that's basically so um i mean i think props to you jeff you've you've you're my daddy um <laughs> and you know we'll uh you know good luck good luck uh going forward well so i um i definitely think there's a lot of luck involved obviously like i when this when this calcutta finished and i owned so much uh there was so much in there i like kind of looked at it and I went back to my investors and I was basically like, uh, help. <laughs> because like, you know, there's a moment where I think like, you could lose all of this, right? Like you could easily lose all of it. And so that's going to happen at some point to me if I keep doing this. Like there is going to be one huge loss that I end up with. That's like what happened to me this time where I, I, I owned almost as much of the pot as you did, Jeff. I think I owned like 30% of it. I invested like 300, my group invested like 350,000, 360,000 and, and, basically you know we had one guy in the top 10 and out of like we had every, almost everybody make the cut and then yeah that's, Bob, you look uh, like you have something important to say well now that that's the challenge i face like um you know jeff i know you ribbed me on the side just a little bit about being um uh I'll let me find a the correct term to use here. I don't even know off the top of my head, but for not joining the I, I golf think rib, I think rib is the right word. Rib, rib is the right word. Yeah. Um, but like, so I've joined the March madness one and the NFL playoffs one and the prize pool structure in those is probably more conducive to my bankroll in the sense that it's very unlikely that you're going to go completely bust on um, a tournament. Um, so like March madness and NFL playoffs, we were awarding individual wins, right? And we don't really have anything like that in the golf payout structure. So I was talking to Rufus earlier this week, but I personally cannot afford a week where I'm going to lose a quarter million Rufus coin. Um, that's just not going to, you know, I'm not betting at the level where I'm comfortable doing that. I can obviously um, give other people equity in, in my bids. Um, but I don't think people are necessarily going to be willing to back my golf against the other people that are in the golf auction for one. And then the second thing is I could just, you know, throw in a few flyer bids here or there for 10, 20 K or whatever, just for a sweat. But I, I'm, I'm like, that just doesn't jive with me. It's not who I am. I can't see expected value just fly by because I don't have enough money to bid on it. So that's kind of why I've been 
you know, on the sidelines for the golf ones. I'm very, very interested in Calcutta's in general. I love the format. They, you know, make things a lot more interesting to the point where I, I almost forget about my actual betting and I'm only focused on the Calcutta for that, that stretch of time. Um, but yeah, it's very difficult for me with the way that the golf prize pools are structured. If that makes sense. So, so no, I mean, that makes sense. Would you get sense. in if, so we've talked you want to be, you can be a part of my team. Like, you know, if you want to donate some money to, to Jeff, like, I, I think that was the time to get in on the Rufus team though. Regression to the mean, right? I don't exactly. know if that's how this works. <laughs> no, Jeff is just God. And, you know, don't, don't, you know, I believe in him. <laughs> um, so Rob, that's an interesting point because Rufus and I have, have I wouldn't say argued, but we've discussed, a little bit about the structure um, of the the Calcuttas. And, you know, he's said he would at times talked about they're wanting to be less variant. So if we paid off, say, top 30, and we made the distribution of that top 30 more even, meaning like it was only an incremental 1%, 1% for first down to second to third to fourth, would, would you then be interested in doing it? Uh, I'd be more likely to. Yes. I mean, one of the challenges for sure is, is the fact that it is golf. And, and I know that the people in the, uh, like I respect a lot of the people that are in the auction and, and I personally don't think I have an edge over the majority of the people that are in the auction. Whereas the NFL one, for example, I'm very confident in what I do with the NFL. So I'm, I'm more, uh, willing to, to bet larger amounts of money, but yeah, I mean, certainly I'd be more inclined to participate if it was a, uh, less top heavy structure. I, I like a less top heavy structure as well. I mean, I think it, uh, <laughs> you know, although I'm, so you're like, but it might mess up my regression does. to the mean though. So yeah, at this know, point you have to go with the top heavy. Structure I, I need to like this. finally <laughs> just hit one where I just hit the entire top three. I'm ready for that. Um, I think next year I'm happy to change, revisit the, the structure that we do for the majors. I mean, I, I it's, what I would say is the the Calcutta golf sweat is undoubtedly one of the most fun things I've ever had. Like it's, it's superior. It or is, it, it's fun. Yeah. And I wonder, and I, I wonder if the sweat would be as good if there wasn't quite as much variance. Um, I still think it would though. It because might. you still have you would have rooting and you'd have rooting interest further down the leaderboard too. Yeah, we can we can pull the group and see. I mean, did you there was some talk about doing a Calcutta for the FedEx playoffs or whatever, the FedEx championship. Um, I don't know if either of you guys looked at the format that he suggested, if you had any comments on it, if you guys think it's something we should do, or is it, is it like trying to make fetch happen? I personally didn't look at it yet. Um, and Jeff's referring to the, the WhatsApp group chat that we have with all the Calcutta members, but um, no, I, I haven't seen it yet. Partly just because I've been, frankly, just disengaged from that chat in general, since I'm not really uh, a participant in the, in the golf ones right now, but I think that's kind of interesting uh, to make the end of the golf season um, a little bit more interesting. Rufus, do you usually bet the FedEx cup at all? I mean, no, there isn't really a market to bet it. I, I bet on the individual events, but I, I, I guess there are futures on who wins the FedEx cup, but, but you bet each tournament. Of course. I bet every golf well, I, would, I wasn't sure. I remember for a while. Well, I guess when it was like more match play, you didn't do it, right? It, it was never match play, actually. That was oh, the, the, there's the, the one match play event a year, the at least in the US, the WGC. 
well, there's probably a bunch of high school matches and well there's the the usam there's yeah yeah so so you just lied there, there's there's <laughs> jeff golfing against phil mickelson yeah that too um i'm ready for you rufus i broke 90 so we're good yeah how, mm-hmm. how many how many uh how many gimmies did you get there i didn't i don't I I've, take, I've heard stories I about gimmies the if they're course. like really gimmies i don't i don't like charity he's like oh, oh you know only if they're really gimmies like you know seven six feet Rufus, no. a gimme everyone knows inside the rubber. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's I don't know who you play golf with. There's a there's the three I, of us. I, I don't know. Like all, a, all I know is that I, you know, when I played golf out in Vegas, I heard some stories about uh some you know, some some uh some gimmies that are, have been taken in the past with you that have not been gimmies. So, you know. Oh wow. And when you shots when you, fired. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, well, so, so I'm not Jeff, like notorious Jeff, so, for taking so gimmies that no one else takes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm no, notorious we had for a, not um, being very good at golf, if that's what you're saying. We had a, no, so we were playing in different groups, Jeff and I, and Jeff suggested we play match play for $1,000. And I was like, there's no way I'm playing match play with you if you're in a different group and I have no idea, you know, what you made i mean that destroys the yeah. whole point of that's, it that, 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 then i'm then i am trusting that you're you know what's a gimme for you and all that stuff right that's yeah are, are you i understand playing that. you know are you taking this like an ob as a lateral hazard etc you know yeah that that's fair but you you would assume that like i i'm a very i'm not like trump or anything like i'm a pretty principled golfer i don't i don't i like to take a real score and i i'm not like I'm not someone that's like, oh, I'll play that as a lateral or, oh, I won't hit the shot again. I mean, I play I play what we call recreational golf, right? I mean, as recreational golf, you play more things as laterals than most people do, right? Right, like right but have, Jeff, are, are you yeah. taking like provisionals off the tee if if it's in question or anything like that? If it depends, right? Like it's, if, it, if, it, if we're really having like a real competition where everyone's playing the same way and everyone's taking, but like how often in like everyday golf when people are trying to play fast right are people Mm -hmm. like you know taking a provisional every time they should right yeah so so what jeff is saying is the rules that apply to him are not the actual rules of golf but they're the rules of golf that he wants to use to in the interest of pace of play and i I understand it's about yeah there's a balancing gap it's also skill level right like i'm not trying to fucking make the tour right like ultimately if if you and i were playing and you hit a ball and it was one of those balls that were like, oh, we'll probably find that. And we go up there and we can't find it. I'm not going to make you walk back. I'm not going to make you take stroke and distance. I'm going to just say drop somewhere that's that's not too unfair or not too ridiculous and hit the ball. Like we're friends, well, right? Yeah. The USGA actually now allows you to not have to go back and read T, but I think you have to be, you're hitting your force right. from the fairway stroke or something. Stroke and distance, right? No, that's, no, it's like, it's, I think you're hitting four from the fairway then. They not add an extra three. stroke for you yeah. not having yeah. distance. Rufus. No, this isn't that, Jeff. This is an option you have to essentially right, say the same thing. Rather it's than going back, extra, you're basically taking an extra penalty stroke. Right, but, but instead of hitting three, you're hitting four. That's the extra penalty stroke. That's not stroke. That's not what stroke and distance means. I'm just saying. It it is actually what it is. No, it's, it's two strokes, and no right. distance. That's what I'm saying. So it's very no. You get the distance, distance though, and an extra stroke. Because you got the distance, you hit the ball. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'm not settling this. I, I actually don't know who's right or not. We'll leave that to the golf internet. people. 
I'm, I'm saying Jeff minus 125 if I have to set a line right now because I'm on what on what what are we what are we betting on the, what, the de- whether this is correct or not oh, right. Right. Well, you're term hitting... stroke and distance eh. <laughs> okay so Rob yep. you have your own podcast now for the first time since uh we've had you on and, and I guess we haven't been invited yet, but I'm, I'm sure the invitations were lost in the mail, but regardless um, or irregardless, um, how have, how has, you know, I, I've listened to a few episodes. Um, I'm not a big podcast listener, but I, I did check it out, especially when you had like had on um, abnormally distributed. I thought that was, that was interesting. Um, how has like you, you're, you're a fantastic interviewer. Um, have you enjoyed it? What have you learned from it? Yes, I definitely have enjoyed it. Um, I mean, people that don't know um, my history, I, I started in sports media uh, out of college um, and having transitioned into being a professional better, there's always been this appetite for me to still do content. It's something that I miss. Um, you know, I, I I can't really explain it, but it's it's just been something that's been lacking. So um, when I did join on with the Betstamp team and had the opportunity to start a podcast, I was pretty excited about it. And I, I think it's gone fairly well. We were trying to like fill a, a gap in market um, and, and trying to make things fresh. And um, it's it's gone pretty well. I mean, I, I don't want to say that I've necessarily learned anything or anything surprised me, um, but just being able to talk to different people that um, even people that I think I know a whole ton about and learning uh, a bunch of new things about them. It's been uh, some pretty fascinating conversations. And, um, you know, we try to keep a pretty, you know, regimented structure and, um, you know, 60 to 90 minutes type of thing, because we don't want to have these massive podcasts. But some of these conversations have turned into like two or three hours um, off air as well, um, talking talking with fascinating people in the industry. So um, I've enjoyed it quite a bit. I look forward to it every single week. Both you and Jeff will get the invite at some point because obviously I have to leverage your social followings as well and your names and hope that you can spread that content for me as well. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm enjoying it. I'm having a good time with it. Uh, for the record, guys, Rufus was correct. I was incorrect. Ooh, stroke bad. and distance is literally like penalty stroke and you lose the distance. So theoretically, the idea is stroke and distance and instead of losing the distance, you take a penalty stroke, an extra penalty stroke. So the term stroke and distance ref- refers to the actual idea of like going back and hitting the ball and losing the distance. It's unfortunate you guys didn't which bet is, the, Cal- the Calcutta money on that one. It's true, which is basically, this is instead of stroke and distance, it's to speed up the, the pace of play. So it's as if you would hit your drive. Yeah, I, I guess like I've always, I've always played that way with OB meaning like if someone's a real stickler you always have like we, i'd always played for his pace of play like the the option to take an extra penalty stroke not to like go back right, right. i think what most people i mean some people in that case will literally just drop and say okay i'm hitting three here like it was like essentially a red hazard. but that's that's the normal thing not, not I, hitting four i'm also yeah. i'm also saying rufus if you and i were to play together like we you know we were playing match play which we will we'll play like sometime in the next couple of months hopefully like we're not playing that way probably right we're right. you know we're, we're gonna we're, we're playing friendly golf and 
you know, we'll play whatever golf you want. All I know is last, you know, I, I was ready to play against Jeff and, and then Jeff's like, you know, sets the groups and he's like, oh, sets me in a different group well, and Rufus, then asks if we want to play match play for a thousand dollars. I'm like, you know, well, Rufus, there was like the problem with that trip is there were 25 oh, people there and you had your brother there. Right. And so ultimately, like, I'm trying to match groups with everyone that knows each other and wants to play with each other. Right. And I know you and your brother want to play together. And yeah, so we'll play golf. We'll, we'll meet this fall and we'll play a, a nice little shadow tour. The borders are open to Canada, Rob. So you'll be able to come too, right? Yes. I mean, and conversely, if you guys do want to come to Canada at any point, August 9th, I believe uh, the border is open for anyone that's double vaxxed from the U.S. Uh, as I have some of my betting partners coming up north uh, for, for some golf this summer. So double vax, does that mean they won't take J&J? I think that's that qualifies. Okay. I got to look into it, but I think it would qualify. It's just what if you had antibodies and you got J and J asking for a friend? I think you'd probably be fine. Um, so back to I interrupt. I didn't interrupt, but I changed from your sort of podcast story. Um, what? How are things going with Betstamp? What's you want to give a little a little commercial for what's going on there and refresh people what Betstamp is? Yeah, it's it's going pretty well. I mean, Betstamp is a startup. I mean, it's a very small team of people right now, and um, essentially, um, I joined on because it was an app that I was using pretty frequently and, uh, I'm no dummy either. And I want to cash in on some of the, the regulations that are coming or that has happened in the U S but it is also coming to Canada now. Um, and we have some ways that we're considering monetizing, but essentially it's a pretty good utility for sports betters. Um, you know, a lot of sports betters don't want to pay 500 bucks a month to access Don best. And that's completely understandable. Um, you know, Betstamp is pretty close to a real-time feed for a number of different sports books. It's automatically going to find the best available number for you on any specific event that you want to bet on, uh, depending on the sports books that you bet, bet at. So from that perspective, it's a great line shopping tool. It's also a pretty solid bet tracker for anyone who wants to, um, put their own bets into the app. We do have a bet sync feature that's coming, uh, fairly shortly for a variety of sports books as well. That's just going to automatically pull bets in. And then um, this might be a little bit of a controversial one, but I think it's fitting for, for your guys pod is um, we have a buy and sell marketplace um, where people can tout on the app and sell their picks directly within the app. Um, one of the advantages to buying picks on Betstamp is that you have a verified line history of whoever you're buying from. Um, so one of the things that I will recognize in this industry is that touting is always going to exist. There's always going to be a market for people that want to buy picks, but unfortunately, um, they, the people that are buying picks, uh, basically succumb to the marketing of the pick seller, uh, whether that's short-term trends or falsifying records or whatever. And in this case, there's no way for that pick seller to do that. So it's a way, um, for the pick buyer to basically do their due diligence on who they're buying picks from and whoever's selling them, we don't keep a commission either. So um, the interesting thing about the app is that, you know, we have these personas of, of what we think, what we thought our users would be. And it's just kind of this mishmash of so many people using the app in completely different ways, um, but it's picking up some steam uh, and hopefully we can onboard uh, a lot of people during football season this year. 
Hold on, hold on. We have a surprise guest um, to bring on right now. Seth Byrne. No. <laughs> that, that, that I actually thought you were that. serious. No, like, that, that would have been fantastic. Crash our Zoom? Who is it? So Seth Byrne is talk- not on. No, yeah. Seth Byrne is not on. But I was just thinking about what, what Seth Byrne would say to what Rob was saying. So, the, so what's the point of allowing the pick selling to happen within the app? You're not taking any revenue off of it. It's basically that you're saying like, hey, this is going to happen. Let's try to create the most transparent way to happen for it to happen with no sort of skin in the game for, for us. Yeah, so uh, I'll be completely honest with you. And I think th- part of who I am as a person is I'm very open and transparent. And I think that's what we're going for with the Bet Stamp brand. Obviously, we want to be you know authentic in this space. Uh, one of the big advantages in onboarding a pick buyer, or sorry, a pick seller to the app is they then bring a bunch of their clients with them. Um, so for example, if somebody is selling picks on a website where they're splitting the, the pick sales 50-50 with whoever's running the website, well, we can incentivize them to come sell on Betstamp uh, where they get 100% of the pick sales. They bring the clientele over with them. We've now onboarded a bunch of new users who are now f- frequently using the app. Um, so that's kind of a way for us to, it's an acquisition tactic just in general. Um, and obviously opens up more opportunities for the pick seller as well. Should they produce a solid long-term record? Right. I guess that there, therein lies the problem, right? It's kind of like aiding and abetting, right? It's a, it's a tough, it's a tough one for me to get behind. Like, I understand why you guys are doing it from a business perspective, but like, I don't know. I mean, I, I, Yeah. I, I, I get it. I, Alyssa, I, I completely understand the other side of the argument. Uh, I totally do. Um, but at least, at least in this scenario, the pick buyer is not getting swindled with a hundred percent certainty. We can, we can say, Ooh, I, I wouldn't say, I don't, th- I wouldn't say a hundred percent. I well, mean, in the, in the sense can, that I can in the start, sense, yeah. go, go ahead, Rufus. I was, you can have some multi-accounting. I mean, we, yes. you, you register under a different email address, you, you know, yep. like I register under 10 different email addresses. And then, you know, I, the, the, I put in different picks and the one gets hot. That's the one I keep in market. And I mean, yep. and yeah. So, so we do have some um, prevention measures for multi-accounting. Uh, we will have some uh, phone verification coming in the near future as well to further guard against that. Uh, I, I do think that there is some degree of multi-counting that exists because we can't catch every single one of them, but I'd say it's a very, very low percentage um, of users that would be able to do that right now. Uh, completely get your point though. That's, that is possible. It's something that we're cognizant of and we're you know, working on improving pretty regularly. Um, but yeah, I mean. Can I ask what you're doing on the, yeah, I mean, in the other side there? Uh, real Rob. quick, Jeff. Um, because I, I do think... Like, I know how you guys provide, like, you track people's CLV, yep. which, and I, I feel like if you're, if you have this marketplace and you're actually educating people on, um, on essentially how to predict whether someone will continue to be a winning better, it's not just about how they've performed. It's not that they're eight and two in their last 10 picks. It's like mm-hmm. whether the market's respecting, um, respecting their picks. And so uh, is there going to be, I guess, any effort to educate in that regard? For sure. Um, it's part of, um, we're in the midst of a capital raise right now, but part of the reason that we're raising as much capital as we're looking to do is to develop a uh, educational series, so to speak. 
Um, but yeah, absolutely. It's part of the reason we do the podcast in general. Now, granted, the podcast isn't reaching every single person that uses the Betstamp app. Um, there's a lot of good educational information in there. But yes, the reality is that's what we want to do. Um, and in fact, if you look at like who gets featured in the marketplace um, within the, the app itself, it's, it's, it's all automated, but it's highly prioritizing closing line value over just strictly ROI. And it's looking at long-term samples. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's admirable, but right. Just, just what you said is the real issue, right? That they're even without any shenanigans or anything like just the short-term variance can sway someone to believing someone's better than they really are. And there's, there's kind of no way that you're going to be able to prevent that. I, I get that. I, I mean, I think at the end of the day, there's there's the argument about touting in general and whether or not you agree with it or disagree with it. I come from a background where I ran prediction machine uh, for a full year, which is a tout service. I've done it before. I, I personally do not have a, an issue with touting. I have an issue with people who are scamming, which is the vast majority of touts. But th- that's one argument. What we're trying to uh, we're trying to approach it from the perspective of this is never going to go away. People are always going to buy picks. People are always going to sell picks. This market is going to exist. How can we manage this and like kind of make it kosher in a sense where we can do our best to prevent that buyer from getting swindled? And it's not foolproof by any stretch of the imagination because yes, absolutely. Somebody could log onto the site and say, well, this guy's won his last five bets and he's got a, a pick package up today. I'm going to buy it. We can probably prevent that from happening with some sort of education in the future in terms of looking at longer term samples. And there's ways to, to go about that. So it's, I will fully and readily admit it's not 100% foolproof, but at least that person who's buying the pick can actually view that pick sellers, legitimate picks, understand that these were real bets. They were verified. It's not just some sort of made up number out of thin air. It's not some sort of record that's been fabricated. And from that point of view, that's at least for me good enough from the the, the pick buyer perspective. So would you say this is a, like a, a good metaphor would be to say, you know, people are going to do heroin. Like it's bad for you, but there's going to be people that do it. So, you know, you're going to sell the heroin, but you're going to make sure that it's not fentanyl, it's tested, it's clean and give people a place to buy it safely. And clean, know, needles, and, and, clean and, needles. And clean needles and, you know, and sell it near a clinic just in case someone ODs, you'll be there. Like, so it's, it's like responsible. Remember how I, we said like Rob used to be our friend? That's... No, no, I, I don't care. Honestly, you guys are welcome to critique it. My answer would be, I think if you're comparing pick buying to, to doing heroin, those are extremely Maybe I picked the wrong things. drug. Sorry. But, but I guess but, but, but the, the, the metaphor, because I know you're saying it's, you know, pick selling is going to happen. And so, you, what you're saying is let's make it responsible. Yeah. But I guess the question is in doing so, are you also making it more widespread and prevalent and easier making, I guess, making that sort of, um, I mean, I, what I would, what, what do you, or do you think that you're going to do any evaluation of, are you going to do check-ins to see like, are, are we making our, uh, is our audience making money off of their buys or not? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we have a ton of data that comes with the platform that we've built just in general, but I can tell you right now, um, we look at pick sales pretty much on a daily, if not daily, like 
every other day basis. And I can tell you that the people who are act who are selling picks and actually making money on our platform are not ones that I would consider to be scammers by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I think part of it comes with the amount of seasoned betters that we've onboarded. So it's not really been a platform where we're seeing a lot of um, novices, so to speak. Uh, I mean, on registration, you're kind of inputting your level of uh, sports betting expertise, whether that's rookie, um, you know, season better or professional. And we're not seeing a whole lot say that they're rookie betters. I mean, that could just be a fallacy as well, but um, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I don't want, we, we don't want to build a platform where a bunch of people are buying, losing tout picks. And so far what we're seeing is that that's not happening. It's, it's going to happen. And I think at some point you're going to have to make a decision about whether this is a feature you want to continue to support because it is going to taint. I think it's going to taint what you guys are doing a little bit, but I think the problem is there's just not going to be a lot of long-term winners selling picks. And if you're mark and if you, and if you don't allow people to market based on short-term results, then you're going to end up with be people go look at I the just, marketplace. I think it's going to be people that just started selling picks. So maybe they had another account that was losing and they reset or, um, it's just going to be a bunch of people that generally like her well, of people that have long-term records are losing. Right. And so it's going to, which will make people less likely to buy picks, but also makes, I mean, let's, let's, let's move on from this because it's, yeah. a, it's like, a, Rob, I, I get, guys, guys, I, I, under, I understand your point of view. And I mean, I've listened to your pod long before I was on it and, and I, I get your stance and, um, I'm, I'm just telling you that like, we're trying to do this with as much integrity as possible. Um, what I will say is that I think what's happening right now is the, the vast majority of people who are making money by selling picks on our apps on our app. I think they're actually professionals that have ended up making side income essentially by selling their stuff. Um, actual positive expected value winning betters that probably would never consider doing it under their regular names because they don't want to be labeled as a tote or anything like that. But I, I mean, we have, like I said, we're pretty frequently looking at the data of, of who's selling and, um, and who's buying. And I mean, it's not like the marketplace is taking off by any stretch of the imagination. It's not like this, this massive buying and selling is happening on a daily basis. Um, but so far, it seems like the people who are buying have been able to identify people that um, in the long run will win. Okay. So Rufus, you did a ask me anything on Twitter. And I think it'd be kind of interesting to talk about a few of these with Rob and, and with you where he can do broadly. The first one question, which I think was probably the most important question. Is this the one um, from yesterday? Because I did one yeah. la last the Monday before too, when I was having a little break from my long work day getting ready to hemorrhage money well, we'll we'll look at both of them i would like to answer this first question which i think is the most important question that someone asked you which is how annoying is jeff ma in real life i, I responded to it i think i don't remember what i wrote but there was definitely the response. best times are with jeff ma which means you didn't really address the question per se um i read that and i was like man people really <laughs> hate me it's sad really sad i thought i thought you hated me for a long time jeff i don't know what it is about i, I mean i'd only interacted with you like a couple times at at sloan 
I'm like, I don't know why this guy doesn't like me. And then this past year when we were there, you, you invited me out for dinner and I was like, okay, I don't, I don't know why I got that. I have like, um, I've been told this quite a bit that like, I have a, you know, a, a sort of a abrasive, like until you get to know me, like, and realize that I don't take myself very seriously. I don't like, you know, I just, I'm the first one to make fun of myself. Like in that, I, you know, like it's, it, it's even like a problem to, to some degree professionally because, because of my, you know, like reputation or notoriety or whatever you Because they don't it. make movies about losers. <laughs> yeah, because they don't make <laughs> movies about losers. Because of all that, like I have this, I think persona that precedes me that I don't recognize as, as reality, right? Like I don't really, you guys know me well enough now that you know that like I don't, I don't think of myself as being smarter or better than anyone else. I was lucky enough to have a, a movie made about me and a book written about me, but that was more, I mean, there's plenty of people in the world that are as good, if not better than card counters and blackjack players and gamblers than I am. It just happened to, you know, roll up into a, an interesting story that, you know, was, <laughs> I just love how you're trying to essentially be like, I'm not this guy that's self-important and but you come off self-important doing it. Oh, oh really? Am <laughs> yeah, I a little bit? Self-important I, yeah. doing it? <laughs> All right, well, forget it. It's okay. I mean, no. the reality is like when I, you know, I'll talk to people at work and they'll be like, after they get to know me, they're like, wow, you're very approachable and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, why, why wouldn't you have thought I was approachable? Like, I'm- Well, I, I would say that about you now, but not a couple of years ago. Like if somebody asked me about Jeff Ma a couple of years ago, I would have had, said I had a couple interactions with you and I thought you were an asshole. Um, <laughs> but now I wouldn't say that. I would probably say exactly what you're saying now is like, you know, he, he might come across as being a, a tough guy or abrasive, but, you know, that's not who I know personally. So I, you know, when people, people like I've had people say, like, I don't think Jeff Ma likes me. I'm like, I don't think that's it. I think you just, I think that's just the impression he gives off initially. <laughs> That's what you said to me, Rufus, when I, when, uh, when I mentioned that to you years ago. I, I've practiced right. answering that question. Enough, <laughs> enough into the, th- the psyche of my life. Um, how do you guys safeguard against, this is an easy one, against chasing when down and increasing bet size absent of better numbers went up? Uh, I don't know that it's necessarily, how, how do you safeguard? It's just like a mentality, I guess. You, you just get to a point where you're, I, I mean, me, both myself and Rufus quantify our edges. So it, I think it just becomes formulaic in terms of how we get down on, on bets. Yeah. It's kind of like saying, how do I safeguard against not jumping out of the window at night? Like, <laughs> so, you know, it's not something I have to really think about because it's not part of my, my process doesn't involve that. It's yeah. my, like, it's methodical. There, there's a process. I'm, I know how much I'm, you know, I know what I'm comfortable betting on something based on, you know, my perceived edge. Um, and so, so yeah, so um, there was like a book and a movie written about me and in those in that book and movie. Um, I that was a joke, guys. I'm trying to. Yeah, <laughs> I was but trying like, to find the mute the button to people, mute you just to make it even funnier. <laughs> people uh, often ask me, actually, on, because of the blackjack stuff, they would ask me so when did you know when to stop? Right. And that's like the same question. Someone asked you something similar to this. Yeah. And the reality is like, it's just a different mentality that a a gambler has 
to what we at least are for the most part, which are, you know, you know, plus EV sports betters who have models that we follow purely analytical. I mean, card counting is the classic example, right? Because there is zero subjectivity in any of the decisions and bet sizing and whatnot. And, and, you know, what you bet and the decisions you make, it's purely mechanical. So there's no thought of like, oh, do you stop when you're up? No, you're plus EV, you play as much as you can. Our stopping playing blackjack on any given trip or weekend was bankroll conditions, you know, when we just were tired and had enough. When they took uh, you into the back room and, you know, <laughs> hammered your hand, fingers. They put your head, that, that, put your head in time. a vice. That's a good time to stop, in my opinion. Um, this is actually a really good question because it's something I think about a lot. If you had a 20-year-old child who was the plus EV sports better, would you encourage or dissuade them from becoming a pro sports better? And I would actually even take that one step further. I mean, neither of you guys has kids, right? But the, Not that I'm I, aware of. The, the idea of whether you'd want your kids to basically become gamblers or not. Like, and I obviously have, I have two, a four-year-old and a two-year-old and I don't really have to face it yet. But I do think a little bit about like how I want to portray gambling to them or, or even like the things that I do in my life, you know, that, that they're like, they, you know, like sweat. I mean, at some point my son's going to notice when I'm sweating a game, right? <laughs> like they're, he's going to be like, why do you care so much? Daddy, about why, why are you rating, rooting for the trailblazers last night when last night you were wanting them to do badly? <laughs> Daddy, why do you have such an affic- aff- aff- affection for uh, JT Poston? So too soon, Rufus, too soon. <laughs> too soon. What do you guys have? Either you guys want to answer that question? I mean, I mean, for me, it's as simple as I, I don't have children, but if I did have a child, I would want them to do something that they're passionate about, provided that it's like within reason and they're not, um, you know, it's not harmful to others. And um, if they have an edge betting on sports and that's something that they like to do, I would encourage it personally. Yeah. I mean, I, my parents were very supportive of whatever I wanted to do. And so, I mean, I, I would, hope that I would be the same way. You know, I, I don't make the decisions for them. And I, you know, personally, I I would think that, you know, if they're smart enough to make it gambling for a living, they could probably do stuff that's way, you know, that's sort of way better for, I don't know, way better for the world and way, and maybe more better um, for them becoming articulate human beings. Yeah, probably. (laughs) But I, I do think that, gambling has taught me so much about life and it, it's helped me. I think it's made me a better person. It's made me like, I mean, there's so many lessons, like there's so many things that are directly applicable, like not stressing over stuff you can't control, being able to put like a defeat behind you and just move forward. I mean, it's like, there are things you have to do to sort of make it gambling for a living. Otherwise the psychological, well, I mean, well, the stress and, and sort of, the psychological component would just eat you up. And so I think we've all had times where that did happen probably at the beginning of our careers. And we sort of had to learn how to deal with it. And I think, I think that is directly applicable to life in general. I think if you have a, 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 you know, 20 year old kid and um, they're going down the same career path as you as well. And, and that's something that they're passionate about. I think it's also an advantage to have, a father who's, who's been there before and can provide guidance as well. Um, so, I mean, for me, it's all about, 
I, I don't plan on having kids, but if I ever did, I, I would just support them and what they want to do similar to what Rufus said. So you, you at one point, Rob, were a losing sports better, right? Oh, for, like, for so the majority you, of my if, life. If, if you were still in the losing sports betting part of your career or your life, would this answer change? And the reason I ask this is because I think both of you guys and me to a tiny degree in sports betting have found like our place, our happy place where we're, we feel like we have an edge and we kind of, you know, it, it has become a very controllable thing. Um, being a degenerate sports gambler, not having an edge, that is something I would never want my child to get anywhere near. And I, I think it's very rare that people find this edge that, or this, this like, you know, state that you guys are in. So I, I would just worry a lot. And, and this is something I think about a lot because like I, you know, I, I, I started, I first saw, saw sports betting when I was in Chicago as a trader and when I was like 21 years old. And some of those guys were just incredible degenerates, right? And just yeah. that, that the world that they lived in. And, you know, people see some of these movies that they make, like Oni Mahoney and those kind of movies. And like, you're like, this is incredibly depressing. This can't be real, but it's very real. Oh yeah. I've seen problem gaming at its absolute worst with some close friends of mine as well. So I, I get that point of view. I mean, from the questions perspective though, specifically what you asked Jeff, it was if they were a positive expected value better, would I support that career decision? Like if my son is a degenerate gambler and tells me he wants to bet for a living, I'm right. probably going to try to talk him out of betting for a living. I think it comes down to what your son is a, or daughter, I should say, is yeah. where, where they're approaching it from. If they took an academic interest in this originally, that's one That's one thing. But if they sort of had a game, like, you know, just enjoyed the thrill and the rush of gambling, and then that's and that kind of led them there, to me, I think that would be different. I think that would, I would be less likely to be supportive in that case. Right. Yeah, I think that the, I think what you guys are calling out is the notion that they are a plus EV sports better, right? That that in itself is a very rare thing, you know? So, and, and I don't even know if there'd be a way to really know that about someone at 20 years old. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what are they, how do you know that like, are it's You're different not allowed to, to legally bet at 20. And, and how, do, I mean, it would like, it's different for them to tell you what they would have bet, you know, before, even before they bet it and to actually be able to deploy that capital and have the discipline and whatnot. Um, okay. If a line moves against you and you've already bet it, do you bet it again at the new number or lay off because the market is moving against you? Um, for me personally, it's, I don't really have any general rules of thumb when it comes to that. And I think it's on a case by case basis. Um, I tend to respect the market in general. That's something that I've learned over the course of time. And, and I'm a firm believer that I'm probably not the best at my craft in everything that I do. So um, I'm also always scared that people are privy to some sort of inside information um, that I might not have. So that crosses my mind. But I, I, th I don't think that I have a general rule of thumb on that. There are some instances where I'm confident in a bet and the market will oppose it and I'll double dip. And there's other situations where uh, maybe I'm less confident, maybe just because of the timing of of when the market opposed it. I, I don't really know what's going on. So 
I mean, it's it's not clear cut for me. I think there's scenarios that warrant um, either either double dipping or or just kind of just sticking with your original action. I agree. I, I think it's it's a complicated question. I think that's what I responded to. It depends on the sport for me, and it depends on, as as Rob said, the timing. If it's you know if this is like you know Sunday night for a golf tournament that starts on Thursday. Um, which I don't know. If, I don't know if books actually hang lines. I, I'm not betting on Sunday nights, but but I wouldn't respect. Like, if I was, I would be fine with firing back in afterwards. But the thing is, I, you know, you are always worried about inside information and and just the fact that you could be wrong. Yep. Like there are times when, like, yeah, when I'm wrong. Um, <laughs> and so, it's I don't want to bankrupt myself on that. I'm not going to say, oh, I'm going to have six x the position I do on on everything else because I was able to get it down here. So part of it is saying, you know what, I'm, I'm, I want to sort of hedge that bet. Like I, I'm willing to, you know, if I'm confident, I'm will, I'm definitely willing to add some, um, but I'm not going to like go crazy. It's going to be within sort of a framework of my normal bet sizing. Um, okay. Sorry. I missed my, I dripped on my phone. So I know I noticed that water was dripping like crazy while you were drinking. Yeah, it. And a lot of perspiration. I had a good one here that I'd found. Um, it wasn't the cockfighting question. Uh, okay. Um, what uh, it said, this is not worded correctly, so I'm going to reword it, but they basically said, what mechanism would make you genuinely question your edge slash model? I, I would say what result, like what what actual signs um, would make you question your edge slash model over what time frame, closing line value, you know, biggest sample and results, like how, like what are the real things that make you question? And I, I think probably it's I'll, for you guys. Go ahead, Rufus. Sorry. I was going to start with the first thing, like just on a short term basis, is like if your numbers seem way off market. Like sometimes, you know, you're like, there's something wrong. This doesn't look right. I shouldn't be showing this many edges. Like that's, that, that makes me question. I, things. I feel that way about the Calcutta in golf every time. Like I shouldn't be showing this many edges. Maybe, maybe Will's model sucks. So far it's working. So that's, and Will's a very smart you know, guy. We were in Vegas but, together, Rob and Rufus like shit on Will's model. Like this is like right before the US Open. So I was trying to get in just all the guys that are, all the guys that are, well, the guys that are in my consortium, a bunch of them were in Vegas and all they remember is you shitting on our model and basically like talking shit about how you're going to destroy us in the Calcuttas. So they're always like, why don't you troll Rufus more on this? And I'm like, there's no reason to troll Rufus right now. I mean, so this is all bad karma basically is what you're telling me. I, I mean, I remember it differently. Je Jeff was trying, Jeff was like rubbing something in my face about it before. So that like, and we were both kind of, you know, had had uh, some adult beverages um, and a long day in the sun as well. And so we'd had like I, uh, four Zimas each. We exactly. Were like, we were white girl wasted on Zima. And, and so, yeah, I, I hit back a little bit. No, what, what we, what you argued with and what you said, right. And, and is that typically, you know, you did make a comment. I, I don't want to get into Will's model, the specifics of it, because it's it's not. That's my not fair model to him, to, and it's that, obviously yeah, it's not been my doing model quite well. So. I guess let's not get into it. But and I think Will is a very sharp guy, and I I do think he, like I think his model is a winning model. So far, so far. 
Uh, go ahead. You were back to this whole idea of yeah. like, when do you know that your model's off? I, some of these questions are are very difficult to answer just because, um, I, I mean, this one is obviously looking for some sort of subjective answer, but I, there's a weird thing that um, it's, it's weird to say, but like sometimes you just know, like sometimes you have a feeling, um, Rufus mentioned it, but like maybe you'll have a really big edge on a game where you're like, this doesn't really add up to me, or maybe the market is just consistently shitting on you or, or opposing your plays. Uh, it could just be a really bad run of results. Like there's a there's so many different factors that could leave you lead you to believe that um, something's not going right, and then you kind of just investigate it from there. So uh, I I don't know that there's any one single scenario, but I, I try to track as many things as humanly possible. That's something that I've I've always done and, and people that uh, work with me, <laughs> they know the extensive tracking that I do. And um, there's just, yeah, it's, every now and then you, you're just like, something's not right here. And I, I need to dig into this a little bit more. And I, I had actually an example of um, this happen earlier this year. I think it was in, in late March where I, I found a bug in my golf bottle. And it was because my brother, who's, uh, who, who's, who, does, who, who works with me, um, was you know he noticed i was on i was on vacation in aruba and i had him basically run everything this week and he was like um i think that it seems like there's something wrong we shouldn't be having this many edges on the on these guys that whose names i've never even heard of and stuff like that and because it was an event where it was like a alternate field event because there was a wgc event that week i believe the match play and so uh yeah, when it showed corn fairy players ahead of PGA players that like regulars <laughs> or, so, or or you know it, it basically didn't make a ton of sense and and so that you know he actually you know was the hero in this case um, and you know he spotted something that was wrong based on his intuition over what we, how how our betting's been the past few months and so yeah. um, and I was able to get to the get to the root of the cause and and straighten it out. But I don't know, I, Jeff, I think the question was more like, I don't know if it was more about like, when should you pack it in and say, okay, I, I can't win anymore. No, I think, I think it was, I'll read it. It was what mechanisms would make you genuinely question your edge model would it be consistently failing to beat the closing line. How big a sample would you need for this? Oh, I thought it was the, the person that said, what percentage of losing your net worth would you need before you like realize that you can't win anymore? Oh, different question. <laughs> yeah, I said I haven't. I really mean, I mean, you'd have to bet. It. You'd have to bet on the Jets for like sixteen straight NFL games, right? Yeah, I mean, maybe only twelve. <laughs> um, what about what about dealing with losing? Right, like I mean, I think you know. Again, there's two perspectives to this. One perspective is we could say, "Hey, we're all robots, and we're just betting," and blah blah blah. Um. But the quite there were some questions about avoiding tilts and, um, you know, generally just dealing with losing. I think this is personally one of the the greatest skills that you have to learn as a sports better, as any kind of better with an edge, that you are going to lose, right? If you you know, and you have to deal with that. Um, what do you, what are your thought? What are you guys' thoughts on this? I think losing is. Um and dealing with losing is the toughest thing for me just in general um not only in sports betting but probably just in life i've never really handled it well um i still don't 
I mean, I, I tried to take a step back and, and convince myself that there's uh, just, you can be on a, a, a run of bad variants and it certainly happens, but I cannot will myself to not really dig deeper into it and just kind of validate that. Uh, and I do spend a lot of time um, on stuff like that. It's not something that I personally handle well. It's certainly a limitation of mine. So I'm probably not the best person to answer this question because I think from a psychological perspective, sports betting does take a pretty massive toll on me, maybe more than I, I lead on. And uh, I know Rufus had a Twitter thread about that yesterday and um, that kind of hit home with me because I, I certainly feel like that quite often. No, I think it's something important and worth talking about because we know, like nobody talks about it and it's something, um, and especially with like Twitter and social media, you just see everybody seems to be winning all the time. And so there's also the part where when, if you're losing and everybody else is winning, it feels even worse. Yeah. Um, but I think, um, I, I think this is one area where betting really teaches you and, and helps you become a better person um, and helps you, I guess, be a happier, more fulfilled person who can handle adversity. Well, um, first off, Rob, I was someone that hated losing, you know, growing up and everything. I like, I was like, so, so hyper competitive. Um, it's funny now I'm a lot calmer. Um, but, but I think the first thing to is, is <laughs> Jeff is laughing over there. Like what must I, I think like you're before? so competitive still. Like we've talked about doing like the, bet the process Olympics or decathlon. Of course I'm competitive. Like but I channel, I feel like I, I, it's different now. I think maybe that's, that's called aging, but you know, it's different the, the form. It's not like if I'm playing tennis with my friend, it's not, you know, we used to in like seventh grade, we would storm off the court when we didn't agree with like a line call and we just yell at each other. And now when we're playing like, like, well, I'm, he's going to win now, but so that's one thing that's different, but, but like, I'm like, no, that ball actually your shot was, you know, my shot was out that you called in like, mm -hmm. So, but, but back to, to losing, I think that the thing is to, you need to accept it and accept that it happened and not wish it was different, not say, oh, you know, like if only this had happened and this had happened, like if you sort of, if you wish that things are not as they are, it creates this sort of dis, like this, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not discontinuity, but it's like a, um, oh, what is that freaking word? It's late. Um, expression. I, 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 I don't know what you're looking for here, Rufus. Um, cognitive dissonance, maybe mm -hmm. I might, be, that sounds, that sounds like it, but, but the thing is like, accept your emotions though, like accept the way you feel. Like I, I still remember it was the 2016 Super Bowl, the Denver Carolina one. Yep. And we lost a ton of money on props. And I just remember feeling like really disappointed and awful and just like and this is around the time a few months after i'd started getting into the whole buddhist thing and and i just remember with like i was just like okay i'm gonna sit with it i'm gonna sit with that feeling and allow myself to feel it and then after a while i started like actually enjoying the feeling which and like and just was and then at peace with it and then it, it i don't know it just like but by doing that by not running from it i find i'm able to sort of transform it into like a positive thing. And when I have a really bad loss or something like that, it also doing that, it makes me, it may, it really makes me realize how little gambling actually matters. You know, everything, nothing changes in my life. I go outside. It's still, you know, the sky's blue. 
um, you know, I still have a car to, well, I don't have a car to drive anymore, but, you know, <laughs> um, yeah. I, I think you come at it from a different perspective because you capitalize very well off, off of um, sports betting in, in your life. And I've only been doing this professionally for like five years. And um, for me, like I struggle with not making money over the course of a month or potentially two months at, at times. Whereas if you're working a day job and, and you, you know, you have a shitty run and you're doing your job poorly, you're still collecting a paycheck, right? You're going home with some money in your pocket. And in sports betting, it's like, not only are you not going home with money in your pocket over that stretch, but you're actually paying out, you're, you're losing. So I think that's why it weighs on me. It's not the competitive aspect of things. It's that I'm actually doing this for a living. Like I, I, you know, you are reliant on that money coming in just in general. So I, I think that's where it, it gets to me at times. Um, I know I, I try to, I try to like, I try to do things that are more meditative. Now I try to just get away and literally put on some headphones and listen to music for half an hour a day doing nothing. I try to exercise more, whatever I can to distract myself from sports, especially when live sports are going on. Now I actually barely even watch live sports anymore. Um, seems to help a little bit, but I, I do very frequently fall back into the, it's not a depression, but it's like a, you know, you just, sometimes you just get down on, on things a little bit. And uh, I'm certainly not immune to that. When, when you, so you, you're married, Rob, right. And and you seem to be pretty close with your wife. And, and I mean that in a, in a non Jeff Moss sarcastic way. Um, how does she, how do you, how does she deal with it? Right. Because ultimately like, she, I'm assuming that you don't tell her every single bet you make and she's not sweating games with you. So how do you separate church and state, I guess? Um, it, it's, it's tough because my, my wife is extremely risk averse, extremely risk averse. Um, so I, I, I don't want to say I, I keep her out of the loop, but I do. Um, the reality is like I kind of just give her an update on how we did at the end of the season because I have winning seasons. At, at, when all is said and done, things go well. It's good. This is how much we made over the course of the year. Keeps her excited, keeps her happy. Uh, and I try not to, like, I put on a, a brave face, I would say, around her over the course of the year. We're I having a bad time. She can tell that you've shit the bed or you're, you're in a losing, and she's just I, like, I will say, she's so much more confident in my stuff than I am. Like, she can tell um, at times. And she, uh, I mean, I love my wife very much and she, she gives a lot of positive reinforcement. I'll, I'll put it at that. She's just like, you know, this is, this, this happened before and it'll turn around and it'll be fine. And, you know, she's, she is always right, but yeah, I, it's, it's a really weird dynamic because um, I, I would have, you know, if I wasn't married to her, I could never ever picture her married to someone who's in um, a business as risky as sports betting. Um, and then um, sometimes she's just like the, the positive one. Um, so yeah, it, it tends to work out, uh, our, but she's not in the loop for the majority of the year, or at least she doesn't ask. She doesn't really care to know, but every once in a while she'll, she'll ask me specifically because she can, she can kind of tell based off my state of mind. I can relate to that, Rob. And also to the, the partner, um, be like, be more confident in me than I am in myself. Like, you know, yeah, but I, I think what, I mean, Rob, do you ever think you're going to have trouble making a living? Um, no, like 
<laughs> I mean, that was a good question, Rufus. No, no, it, right, but I mean, it, like that's what it was. Yeah, it, it, I think I think I've done uh, everything I've done in life has been pretty calculated, just in general, um, and I have a brand to fall back on. Right, I mean, exa- if, exactly. It, it, yeah, if I so, if I had, and I honestly, I wish Seth Byrne were on for that comment. But you know, I I I wish he was too because you know I I I would stand behind it. It's um, I I spent a lot of time and effort building a brand for myself, and if I someday am no longer a winning sports better, I will have no problem admitting that. I say that with a hundred percent honesty. It doesn't bother me. I'm not the most competitive person. If I lose an edge, I'll just be upfront about it, and I can pivot into some sort of content. I I know that I can still, uh, like doesn't have to be picks content. I know how markets work. I've lived this life. I, I think there's a lot of informative stuff that I could put out there. Um, but no, that, so to answer your question, Rufus, I'm never like, I'm never scared of, of going bust. Yeah. I mean, for me, but like, when I think, when I think about it, like if I did go bust, it would be, you know, it would be like a new adventure that would be like, I, I know I'd be able to make a living, but did, I don't know. Did, do you do you not zen, understand that at all? Zenness, Rufus, is like it's incredible. Sometimes it's like it's almost like you're welcoming the idea of going bust so that you can move to some, transcend to some new level of your life. But it's it's like when you were at the beginning of my career, I had this singular focus on this, and and I was and it made me so good at it. And right now, my focus is so divided with so many different things that it's really really hard to. I feel like I'm honestly I'm not doing anything well right now. That's yep. that, and 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 it's and it's honestly not been it has i haven't been very happy i have too many things on my plate and i've it's a, my own fault but um yeah i can totally relate to that i mean um i stretch myself thin very often it's just something that i uh, i kind of don't know how to say no in general and i i become interested in so many different things that i want to do it all so i i can completely understand that and then people say, you know, you should get an assistant. I'm like, well, that seems really hard to do. Like, how do I, I for, then I have to teach them like all the things that, you know. Right, it's even more work. It's even more on your plate. Exactly. Yeah. But, all right. I mean, I, I, I don't, like, I, I know, Rob, you've said in the past that you want, you know, that you want to retire fairly young. And, and, but, and I think I've said, well, what is retirement? Like, isn't this, wouldn't you, like, I feel like you need, I, I know I need purpose and I need something I'm working towards and building. Um, otherwise I think I would just, well, I would play a lot of golf and be quite happy actually for a little while. Um, but maybe after like three years of 36 holes a day, I might get a little bit tired of it and want something else to do. I don't know. I, I think the idea of playing golf every day would be amazing, right? That's, that's what I, I, I would personally love that. I would be divorced within a few months i would say you get divorced more from the golf standpoint than from the sports betting standpoint which yeah. is interesting yeah i've always uh, wanted to marry golf <laughs> any other uh last minute thoughts questions how was your uh, hockey season rob it was uh it was good this year was a crazy year um i I, I think that's largely why I feel the way I do right now, which is burnt out because this hockey season was kind of like this unicorn season of, um, yeah, so many things that I had to adjust on the fly. And uh, we've had kind of a different operational process as a group this year. 
in terms of um, how we were getting down on games. So it was quite an experience. And unfortunately, what sucks about this year is that uh, I'm not complaining. It was a good season. I mean, I am complaining. The results were good, but you know, the the Stanley cup dragged on into the summer and there's not really a whole lot of time between the end of the hockey season and the start of football season for me to enjoy a summer. So it's like just trying to golf now and relax a little bit, but already dreading the grind that I'm going to face starting in a couple weeks again. So, um, yeah. You should come to surf camp with me in Mexico. Would you say Rufus? Well, no, we gotta go. We gotta do our golf trip, guys. We I know. I'm go going. I'm going to. I'm going to surf camp in Mexico this weekend. Or yeah, it's gonna be fun. That sounds all right. Surfing actually makes me nauseous, to be honest with you. I'd love to surf. I don't know what it is. Weak stomach, man. I can't. You know. Can't... You know, it doesn't make you nauseous, right? Okay. It makes you nauseated. Okay. Irregardless. Yeah. I, I, it makes me nauseated. It literally you, makes Jeff. you nauseated. Yeah. W- watching the waves come in and just, yeah, I don't know. I can't, I can't handle it. Uh, Rob, we'll have you on, uh, right. At, well, we're probably going to do a NFL Calcutta season long Calcutta. That's, that's the general plan we've talked about. I don't know if we'll do this FedEx cup one. It sounds like a lot of fun. It sounds complicated. I think we need to do more Calcuttas in sports I don't handicap because that's the only Calcutta I've won. <laughs> the one that I we have. could do the we could do the U.S. Open one, the tennis one. They talk people have thrown that around as, as something fun to do. We we really I, missed we really missed doing one for for the Euro because I would have I would have bought Italy at so much pretty fun. much any number. I would have taken the most minus EV and then ended up with the winner. So you would have that would have been really fun. fun. Yeah, that would have been fun. I love these standalone soccer. Ter- I'm not a huge soccer so fan, fun. but they are so great just to have games going on over the course of the day. And I, I like looking at the pinnacle market and, you know, I'm throwing down like a thousand dollars on a game into Penny, who's taking 1.2 million you know, 30 minutes before a game time. I'm like, what am I doing here? But I, I wanted to sweat a little bit. It was a great tournament. I love um, care, like pretending I care about soccer for you know, a few months and, yep. and really like convincing myself that I do it's pretty fun. <laughs> I'm, I'm a mental midget. I can convince myself of anything. If you you can't say that anymore, Jeff, you're a mental little person. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. sorry. Thank you, Rob. <laughs> sorry, guys. I don't want you to get canceled. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't using the, it was the expression, the two together. Yeah. I get it. I, I completely understand. I'm just looking out for your best interest, Jeff. Thank and you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate that. Rufus, any last words for our listeners? No, I don't think so. Uh, have a great week. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. And um, we'll talk to you guys again in probably a couple weeks. in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down. It seems like they don't get it. Puppeteers are put to end just running off a of leaded. 